Good evening. Jay's in the building. What's going on, my brother? Yeah, what's going on, E? Yeah, so uh, we're just waiting for our special guest to come on, and um, we could move forward. Okay. Uh, Mr. Anderson, you're in the building? I'm here, I'm here, I'm here. All right. So, Jay, tonight we have our special guest. I like to call him Khalil, the real deal Anderson in the building on September 12th, um, a day after uh, a 19-year anniversary of uh, 9-11, uh, a, tragedy, a tragedy that came upon um, the United States, and a lot of people lost their lives, and we paid our respects uh, yesterday, and I, I'm still a lot of uh, memorials were going on throughout the weekend. But uh, Khalil... Um, it's a pleasure to have you on our show. Thank you. It's 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 good that it's good to have a young man like yourself, you know, uh, jump into the arena uh, of politics to to make a change, to make a difference. Uh, a, a lot of people considered you a dark horse, but I personally think you you galvanize uh, the younger generation, and they came out, in my opinion, and took you over the top. So, um, be Jeff, if you would like to say anything, and then we'll let Khalil uh, introduce himself, and he can tell us a little more and tell everyone a little more about him. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, first and foremost, congratulations again, Khalil. Um, as a fellow young person myself, I'm very proud of you and, and everything that you've done. Uh, you ran a very, very strong campaign, very underdog mentality campaign. Um, you know, congratulations, brother. You know, it's uh, it's a great feeling to have someone in my age group representing not only me but the rest of the youth across the country, setting a great example. Absolutely. So, uh, without without further ado, you know, we're not going to make this too much about us. We, this is we invited you on the show, so um, you know, let let us know. You know, how how does it feel right now? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, absolutely. Thank you so much, Jeffrey. Uh, and thank you so much, Edwin, for uh, hosting me on tonight's Wake Up America program. You know, it's a, it's an honor and privilege um, to be in a space where I could lead my community forward, uh, provide a, a vision for a community that has been forgotten about and left behind uh, by so many of our leaders uh, and in so many different spheres uh, across this space and across this community. So I'm excited that you all have entrusted in me and gave me your vote of confidence on June 23rd to serve you. So on June 23rd, uh, just to, to update the listeners, uh, I was uh, elected uh, the state assembly member uh, for the 31st Assembly District, which covers the neighborhoods of South Ozone Park, South Richmond Hill, Rosedale, Brookville, Springfield Gardens, the Rockaway Peninsula. All those beautiful neighborhoods have very, and of course, all of JFK Airport. And all of those neighborhoods have a very, very unique, uh, uh, but similar, unique, but similar. Um, you know, issues and, 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 and problems and, and, and concerns that need to be addressed in a holistic way. Um, and secondly, on June 23rd, I was overwhelmingly elected uh, the state committee man for the 31st Assembly District. Uh, now, these two positions uh, often go hand in hand um, with the state committee position. Just for our listeners, the state committee 
uh, is a fixture of the state, New York State's Democratic Party. Uh, as a state committee person, there are two per assembly district. There are 150 assembly districts across the state. Um, so that means that there are 300 state committee people, one male, one female per assembly district. And our job as a state committee is to essentially vote, uh, you know, to support uh, the party's agenda on the state level, of course, and um, to support uh, nominations, statewide nominations, whether it's to the uh, Democratic presidential uh, convention or whether it's for the Democratic nominees uh, for statewide office. And that's really the, the purpose of the state committee. So we won that overwhelmingly. And then we also won state assembly on uh, the three main responsibilities just for our listeners uh, of the state assembly is to write laws that impact the entire state in some instances and also only impact localities to mm. oversee the state agencies, uh, which I'll talk more about that. Uh, unfortunately, that part of our responsibility as assembly members has been watered down over the last decade. Okay. Uh, but uh, thirdly, we're charged with, uh, you know, community initiatives. Uh, and I shouldn't have said this one fourth, but fourthly, it should be first, the most important one, is negotiating the state's budget. Our $178 billion budget must be negotiated by the uh, 106th Democrats. Well, everybody gets a little bit in terms of the negotiations of the state's budget, but de generally it's, it's negotiated uh, by the state's Democrats because whichever party's in the majority has a lot more uh, negotiating power. So those are our four main responsibilities in the Assembly okay. and our three main responsibilities as state committeemen. Interesting. That's a lot of money. <laughs> Definitely. I, I hope it's still available. Um, I, I have a question for you. Um, I, I, I noticed in our, in our district, we have uh, an abundance of failing schools. And I would like to know what plan or what vision do you have to reverse that cycle to take the schools that are maybe rated a C or 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 a D and and take them to that A level? No, absolutely. And, and I'm glad you asked that question, uh, Edwin, because, you know, when I read as a young person, right, and, and just also to mention, I'm blessed to to be the youngest serving assembly member currently and the youngest African-American ever elected uh, to state office in state history. Uh, Excellent. And with that mandate, thank you. Nice. And with that mandate comes uh, the the need for us to focus on education, to focus on the need to invest in our young people, to mm -hmm. focus on uh, 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 what's working and what's not working, what works for students with disabilities and what doesn't work with, for students with disabilities, what works for general education, quote unquote, students and what and what does what doesn't work for them and what does work for them, what what does and doesn't work for all students. And what we know is that in this moment, uh, out of the 10 plus schools that we have across this assembly district, part mm -hmm. of the reasons why our schools are struggling is because one, we don't have the financial investment that we need. Uh, and I'll go into that separately as I list out all the reasons why our schools are failing okay. and what we plan to do to resolve them. But our schools are not receiving uh, the appropriate investment uh, we're not training our teachers and uh, paraprofessionals and personnel well enough. Uh, and, and three, most importantly, we're not providing a balance in academia. We're not providing mm -hmm. that balance. Uh, 
as we used to. There used to be shop steward programs in our schools. We used to offer, if you didn't do well in academics in high school or middle school, uh-huh. you were at least leaving these spaces with a trait. You were at least leaving these spaces with a skill. Absolutely. You were at least leaving these spaces to make yourself more marketable uh, in the workspace so that if, if you slipped through the cracks, you at least had something to fall back on. And unfortunately, because of that lack of investment and because of the lack of training of our teachers and professionals and things of that nature, and because of the overall lack of focus of our schools, we're seeing them, the schools not fail, but, but uh, excuse me, the, the students are not failing, it's the schools that are failing the students. And so how we improve that, right, is, and this is something that I've said on the campaign trail, this is not something I'm pulling out of my ass, it's not brand new, <laughs> gotcha. we need to follow the lawsuit that was filed in the early 90s and settled okay. in 2007. This is the campaign for fiscal equity. Okay. This lawsuit said that over decades, the state of New York has systemically disinvested in black and brown schools, systemically. It was proven. Yeah. It's been litigated. Went all the way to the state Supreme Court. It's been done. The judgment has been placed. and. Hmm. 7-ish, 8-ish, and I have to go look back at the fiscal years because they always overlap, we began to make those payments towards the schools. And we began to see slow improvements in, in areas. Of course, money's not the solution, you know, the, the answer to uh, and solution to all issues, but certainly it's a, an important factor. What is the oh, dollar amount that's owed? Yes, I'm going to, yep, I'm going to get to that. Okay. And so the dollar amount in totality statewide for black and brown schools I believe was somewhere in the neighborhood of $10 billion. Oh my God. For the schools specifically in the 31st assembly district were owed nearly, and this is plus interest. Um, some of the good government groups that have been doing this work, um, like Alliance for Quality Education uh, and Students' Rights uh, and Teens Take Charge, they've been doing this work and, and shout out to them uh, around, uh, and of course the Rockwell Task Force locally has been doing the work around trying to uh, get this investment. Um, but our district in totality is owed $12 million after interest and things of that nature in totality, right? So yes, payments have been made and, and, and things are happening, but they've been slowed. These campaigns. Mm. It's not a lot of money. And it's not, it's not. No. Uh, and, and part of the problem is, is that getting that money and then being able to apply for other grant money and, and making ourselves better marketable at schools is part of the solution. So fighting for that money that we're owed is step one. Um, step two is to reintroduce programs into the schools so that children can leave, young people can leave with a trade. Uh, this is not something that has to cost a tremendous amount of money, but requires strategy and partnerships. And what we're prepared to do once I take office is we're going to look at, we're going to do a full assessment of our schools, our high schools, and our our. Uh, elementary schools, et cetera, all of our schools, to see what partnerships we can make with different colleges, what partnerships can we make with nonprofits, what partnerships can we make uh, 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 with, with other high schools for, for the middle school students so that they, be, they begin to build those skills and trades, whether we're partnering with unions and things of that nature, uh, and whether we're even partnering with the one hospital that we have here in the Rockways that does have an internship program, but doesn't have a, a clear pipeline. Uh, of, of a school that they're connected with with that internship program that would begin to hone in on some of the skills and talents our young people have. So you know, that's, that's an excellent idea right there. May, may I interject for a second? Sure. Um, your ideas are great, and it's great to hear it come from you. 
but you're not the only one that can do that. What are these principles doing? Because the principals are in charge of maintaining that type of curriculum and that type of programming. And don't you think also that maybe it's also time to start looking at who's in charge of these schools and who's running these schools? No, absolutely. I've I've worked in the Department of Education for two years as a paraprofessional, and I've learned a lot. And what I notice is, though, the principal is really the core value of the school. And depending on what principal you put in place at these schools, the connections that they have and the resources that they're that's made available to them, they can make a lot of things happen. I, I'm not for one that always thinks that the government should solve our problems. We really need to start digging into who's in charge of running our school systems, our education systems, our nonprofits and our own community. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that that there's this famous say, saying that the fish thinks from the head down. And I think that one of the most important things is, of course, we should have a fair, we should certainly sit down and discuss with the union, uh, the principal's union and, and many other unions, what a fair and appropriate assessment process is for a principal, making sure that we have accountability mechanisms for, for school leadership and, and things of that nature. That's that's important. But we also have to do, we also have to do our part as elected officials and community leaders to ensure that we're, we're investing uh, in our local schools. And part of the way we do that is we implement partnerships. I know Edwin runs uh, a tremendous tutoring program to kind of work to address mm-hmm. the academic uh, uh, gap, if you will, or uh, the, the education gap that exists between young people uh, on this peninsula and, and the pace at which their academics are going at their school. We need to invest in programs like that. Uh, provide resources and things of that nature. That's what government should be doing. Uh, that's what community leaders should be doing. That's what activists should be doing. And I think that it's a multi-pronged, holistic strategy to get to where we need to be. I think you, Kalo, Kalo, you know, you brought up a very good point, but I think part of the problem mm-hmm. is parenting. Mm-hmm. And... At the, the tutorial program at St. John's Church, uh, we have a smart board that was donated by uh, Reverend, Mu- Reverend Mullins of, um, from Challenge Prep. He donated, donated about 60 laptops. We had Arvin by the Sea buy us 40 brand new laptops, but we had less than 20 kids. So if the parents don't wake up in the morning to take their kids to a tutoring program that's free, then, you know, part of having a uh, success in your child's life, it starts in the home and the, the structure in the home is, is kind of fractured and, and we have to uh, go back and fix it because we can't put all of the responsibility on the school. Now we know the issues with DOE. That's a whole different ball game right there, but, it starts at the home. We even changed our our time from 10 in the morning to 11 a.m. to give people enough time to come in there. Now, I can tell you for a fact, uh, before this was here, we were going out to Hewlett to, Kum- to Kumon and paying $75 an hour for tutoring. This is free. You would think that people would be knocking the doors down uh, to come in there because the teachers that volunteer, most of them live in Long Island and would come here every Saturday morning to help these kids, no matter what the weather was. And the kids that really wanted to learn, 
they were there, rain, snow, freezing cold. It didn't matter because they liked coming there. You know, they felt safe. It was it was a really good environment and they had structure there. So, uh, you know, another thing is maybe getting all of these elected officials together and sit down with you, Khalil, and try to get that money that's owed to these schools to turn it around, to make these schools successful. If we don't do that, it's, we're going to get to a point where a lot of these schools are going to shutter because they're failing. And I guess they're all going to turn into charter schools. Correct me if I'm wrong. What do you guys think? I, I think charter schools, I always call charter schools, and you know, many people don't agree with it. Charter schools are the gentrification of the public school system, if you ask me. You know, charter schools seem to be replacing uh, a new style and a new fashion of education. Um, something like uh, along the lines of Common Core, which we all know does not, su- does not support black and brown communities communities in poverty. Common Core is a very confusing curriculum. And it was created by a lot of masterminds who are very wealthy. Yeah, the, the same ones oh. that want to get. Oh, who said that? <laughs> yeah, man. You know, that foundation. <laughs> well, no, I, I, I appreciate, you know, the conversation and, and, and you know, to your point, Edwin, talking about, um, you know, how. Uh, parenting is a big aspect in young people's education, and I agree wholeheartedly. I think that that's a vitally important part of it. And again, going back to my multi-pronged strategy of of addressing uh, the education issues in our district, yes, of course, it starts with lack of investment. Of course, there's a factor of leadership, school leadership, and making sure that leadership is meshing well, uh, and folks, you know, are, are making sure people et cetera, et cetera. But also there is that component of making sure that we empower parents uh, and make parents more involved uh, and push parents to be more involved in their young people's academia and their children's academia. I understand that we are working class neighborhood where people are working two and three jobs. Parents are working hard, but certainly we don't want to excuse to uh, excuse or dismiss you know, their concerns and their inability to be involved, we certainly have to look at other ways of getting uh, our our parents involved. And I don't think that it, it's just the traditional way of showing up to a PTA meeting or holding a bake sale, but it's also looking for grant money. It's also making sure uh, that our young people are coming to school on time. It could be something as simple as uh, checking in with the teacher every now and again. It's many different things uh, that a parent can do to show involvement uh, and show that they care about their young people. It doesn't just start or end with showing up to a PTA meeting. I think we have to make that distinction so that all parents can be involved in some fashion in their child's academia, even if it's just something that's minute to us. Uh, and, and they should want to be involved. Well, I mean, here's the thing. Uh, it goes back to the old Bloomberg policy of when he took a lot of powers away from the PTA, and I've always advocated again that it is time for the PTA to have a bigger role in the education system. They should also have a seat at the table with the, um, you correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong, Khalil, I forgot the name of that committee that they uh, sit down the panel, the education panel that makes a lot of these choices the, after the, after the chancellor yeah, makes the, his recommendations. The PEP, the PEP. Yeah. 
yeah, it, it is really time for the PTA to also have a governing body and also have say in their child's education. Because at the end of the day, these teachers are signed. They signed up to do a job and their job is to educate our children, whether teachers hate to hear this or not. A lot of teachers love to say, oh, well, it's the parents fault. And then a lot of parents say it's the teacher's fault, too. And, and, and it created this. It created this divide amongst teachers and parents. And what teachers and parents have to realize is it's going to take both of them to work together to provide that type of education. What do you think about restoring more power with parents into the education system? I think that that's important. But we also, again, just going back to my prior point, we've got to make sure that we empower parents uh, uh, as much as uh, and, and more. Uh, uh, I demand that we do it more uh, so that parents can feel as though that they have decision-making power, feel as though that they can be more invested and, and their little bit of time or a lot of bit of time, whatever they can offer, uh, is valued. And I think that, that it's, it's a balancing act in, of it, in and of itself. It's easier said than done, but I think that's an important part of you know, addressing the issue you just mentioned. I mean, yeah, well, it's one, th- it's one thing having them feel a certain way and when they know that they have power. And I feel like if you set the president down that, hey, if you guys attend this meeting, you will have a vote and you will have a say on the next curriculum. These parents will be flooding the schools left and right because there is nothing that a human being loves more than to have a choice and to have power. Mm-hmm. Well, I've, I've been saying for a long time, if, there, if maybe there was some state legislation that would give parents a tax credit to be involved in their children's PTA in school. And you have to be an active member in order to get that tax credit. I think PTA meetings should be jam-packed, just like a sports venue, a basketball game, or a football game. But they're not. You know, I think a, I think a financial incentive certainly might be helpful, for working class parents, you know, that do that nine to five or or graveyard shift uh, three to you know three to twelve or you know whatever the graveyard shift is, I probably mistake that day. But you know, I think a financial incentive certainly would help and encourage parents and empower parents and show to parents that their involvement is valued. Um, logistics of that we certainly should speak to folks on the ground who are doing that work and might have proposals out on that stuff already because I don't want. You know something uh, that may not be possible, or may or may be in the work. I think that that's a novel idea. Looking at ways we can show our appreciation and empower parents by ensuring that they can mm-hmm. get, uh, uh, you know, financial uh, uh, compensation, you know, for their time. I think that that's important. Exactly. Now, Khalil, I mean, well, before... again, again, it sounds like to me that you're really not in favor of parents having the ultimate decision in their child's education because, again, you give them all these money. They're still advisory. They're going to come up to these meetings. They're going to make all this money. They're going to give their say and opinion. And they're really, nothing's going to really change. At the end of the day, you got a whole other governed body still making decisions for your child. And that's why I'm starting to advocate more for homeschooling. It's time to pull our children out of this failing education system. I do not believe in leaving the government out to, to teach our children. I think it should be our ultimate responsibility to educate our kids, especially as black people. Because the education system anyway isn't for us. They're not teaching us what we need to know. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm going to disagree on that. I, I have a problem uh, I know, with I know it's a very unpopular opinion, but I, I know uh, it's a very unpopular I've, I've opinion. Had, I've had my eight-year-old tell me, he's like, I'm not learning anything on homeschooling. I'd rather go to school. 
Now, well, that's because you don't have the power, Ed. That they're well, still telling you. They're still telling you this is what the child has to do on the computer. Well, okay. Well, you know what? Then, then maybe we should start writing some letters and reach out to LeBron James and get one of his schools over here. There you go. I, you know, and everybody hates to hear this. I don't know how Khalil feels about this. It's time to privatize the education system. We cannot keep the government being involved in our children's lives. The government has failed us in so many different ways already. That's why we're here on this show right now talking. Why do we keep thinking that the government is going to have our best interest? Well, no one's going to have your your kid's best interest but you. Mm-hmm. But, but, but Jeff, it goes back to, uh, you know, like when I'm home with, with my kids, I give them books to read. I give them vocabulary words I want them to memorize. So I exposed them to items I know they're not getting in school. And I know for a fact that it works because when I go to the uh, to see the schools, when I get the report cards, their teachers are telling me that they're coming in with knowledge that they're not teaching them in the school. So I know it works. Mm, mm. But, but you have to invest in your in your children because there are no do overs with raising a child. You got one shot to get it right. That's it. Mm. They're the I think, uh, I, think, I think we of your labor. I think we should definitely let Khalil answer this one. How do you feel about all that? Did you say? Yeah, no, no, no. There's some very important sentiments that you guys laid out that the public education system has certainly misinformed our young people and certainly has failed in many aspects of it. But I'm not ready to just throw it all away. Uh, I think that we can make significant progress with that system and push it to what we feel is the most effective for our young people. Uh, and, and you know, do I think a little bit of competition uh, may be helpful, hurtful uh, 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 to the school system? You know, that's left, you know, to other folks and their opinions on, on how they feel about charter schools and private schools. I'm not a, you know, particular, particular uh, uh, a supporter of either or, or, or non-supporter of either. But I think it's important that, again, given making sure that our schools have the proper investment and tools in resources so that they can be successful so that we can actually see if the system works or doesn't. We've never been at a place where we can say, wow, this school has a ton of money and resources and, and, and uh, can make sure that every school, every student has a textbook from this, from this uh, century, uh, make sure that every student can have access to technology if they don't have it at home and make sure that we level the playing field. We have not leveled the playing field yet to to ensure that this system works in a fair way. So I think that right now we're working to level that playing field uh, and ensure that we get the same resources as young people uh, who are in schools on Long Island, Suffolk County, or wherever, uh, you know, in the state. Um, so once we level that playing field and see what resource distribution looks like, uh, we certainly can be a lot more critical of whether or not that system works with competition or without competition. But I think we're not there yet and we have so much more work to do. That's my opinion. Well, well, Khalil, I I would like you on you know when uh, I I think they pushed the schools back to the sixteenth or I think it's uh, the twenty first September twenty first. Okay, yeah. but if if you can possibly find in your schedule to go to every school in your district and and meet the principal and find out what their needs are, find out what their needs. I'll give you an example. PS one eighty three right next to us the the principal the new principal dr uh i don't want to get it wrong is it dr campbell khalil 
I uh, the, I'm not sure. I don't want to get the name wrong, oh, but I, I know she, she lives in the Rockaways. And we've been trying to get a stop sign for the last six years. A stop sign on a corner of a school to make sure it's safe that they cross across the street. What street is that? that this that- is on Beach 79th and Beach Channel Drive. We've had multiple letters and 311 complaints to uh, 311. We've had elected officials come over there. And we, you know, I have to fight with the uh, sanitation to clean the sidewalks so the children can, can walk that come from uh, on the bay side that come over here that go to PS 183. Why don't they have a clear sidewalk? Why don't they have a stop sign? Why aren't the speed bumps stopping the cars? Because those speed bumps are probably over 20 years old. They're so flat that the cars are flying by. But you wouldn't find this in a more affluent neighborhood. It should not. They're, they're the same tax dollars, and it be it should be equally distrib- dis- distributed to the school districts. And I don't think it is. If you go in there and speak to her, you you she has some great ideas, and, and she's trying. But I I think if you went to uh, all of the schools and and introduced yourself, and you know I'm sure most of them know who you are, and really find out what they need, have that one on one relationship with these principals, so we can have high achieving schools in our district. Absolutely. And I think one more thing, Edwin, uh, to piggyback off what you're saying too, uh, this also, and what Jeff is saying too, there's also uh, missing from this conversation, I need to interject into this conversation, there's a missing component uh, as it relates to preventing academics from happening. And that's the social emotional awareness of our young people. Focusing on what kind of triggers our young people what stops our young people from learning what are the at-home factors what are the communal factors uh what are the social factors in that child's life that prevents him and her from learning and while i haven't gone to every school in my district yet when we do intend to do so uh between the time uh that i'm in this waiting pen (laughs) and when we take (laughs) office um you know i've certainly have along the campaign trail spoken to principals when schools were open because uh, I've been running for a year and a half, uh, but when schools were open, uh, relationships that I had, and I had a sit down earlier in my run, I want to say it was June of 2019. I sit down mm-hmm. uh, with a, a principal. And this is on the mainland of the district, but it all ties together. I had a sit down Correct. with a principal at PS52. PS52 is in Springfield Gardens. PS52 mm-hmm. has the second highest percentage of students in temporary housing in the entire city of New York, in the heart that of That is district. true. That is true. I've, I've been to that district. school. And wow. that school struggles at a tremendous level. But the spirit of the school and the spirit of the teachers and, 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 and professionals in that school building uh, in trying to uh, effectuate change uh, 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 and a sense of hope in those students that, that go home to nothing each and every day. Um, you know, has been their primary focus, has been, or excuse me, has been a primary focus. So when we're focused on social-emotional awareness uh, and, and not academia and, and vice versa, you know, there's certainly some improvement that needs to be had in schools that are faced with issues like that. And, and of course, PS52 is not unique to um, this district. There are many schools that struggle like PS52, PS105 and the Rockaways. Uh, okay. PS 183, as you just mentioned, 
PS 181 in, in, in uh, Rosedale. Uh, these are schools that struggle tremendously. And I believe that making, if we address the social, social emotional awareness of these young people in a way that includes academics and creates that balance, we can also, uh, you know, strike the balance of, of, of making sure that young people who otherwise are more concerned about where their next meal is coming from. What comes hey, look, I'm, I'm going to help you out. I'm going to help you out with this one. I'm going to help you out with this one. I went to a high school named Automotive High School in Williamsburg, Brooklyn, probably a very affluent community now. So people would probably think this is a great school I went to. Um, we had services in our high school that have not only just supported me, but many other people that we're talking about where, they had, well, the companies, the organization is called Good Shepherd Services. I'm sure you've heard of them. Yes. They're very actively involved with organizations. Yes. We need to have more programs like that put into our schools. These people, I cannot tell you right now, but they had great people with them. They came from our communities. A lot of these people they hired were also students that were challenged in school. A lot of them also probably have also been to jail. A lot of them also been in gangs. A lot of them also been selling drugs. And they somehow turned their lives around to now they became great mentors to a lot of us. And I cannot tell you how much of a help that was for me in high school and how much of a help it was for some people I knew that were in worse situations than I were in. And these programs need to be funded heavily. These programs need to have influence in the school. And the schools need to be open also to the services that they provide in these schools because my principal – you know, she was a great principal, don't get me wrong, but she also had a problem with these organizations helping us out. Oh, well, these guys are missing too much class. Listen, I understand they got to be in class, but these people, the emotional well-being and the social life aspect and the mental health aspect is going to be the most important thing before you could try and educate anyone. So with that being said, Khalil, that's something you can take and try and I don't know if you could do it so much on the state level, but those organizations need to be heavily funded and they need to be thrown into our schools now. Well, well, even if even if if it's cutting into, I guess, maybe the principal's academia, we, we do have a lot of recreational cities, uh, centers and NYCHA. And uh, there are a lot of facilities that are there. We have quite a few of them here in the Rockways. Maybe those type of programs can be implemented into these recreational facilities. It's just an idea. Well, yeah. Well, I, I was saying that these services were actually in the school building. And, like, we okay. were able to walk to these classrooms in these little offices they had at any time. And if you signed up to these programs as a student, if you felt like you were in distress, if you felt like you was having trouble at home with anything, I was able to leave my classroom during instruction. And the teachers had to let me go to this office. And, and, and speak to someone that can help me. And, and I can't tell you still, right now. Are they, they still they, in existence? They, they, they still exist, but they're, again, these services are not being well provided. They're not well funded, so they can't be in every school. That's the problem. Okay. Interesting. My school was in a renewal phase, and Khalil knows what I'm speaking about once. Mm -hmm. I'm going to let him speak in a minute. Um, you know, it was part of a renewal phase. So my school was given $25 million to renew itself and to try and improve the academics, the graduation rates, and things like that. It didn't really work out, to be honest with you, but I'm going to tell you right now, a lot of us that had those services, 
as students, we were able to grow. We were able to go to good schools. We were able to find ourselves in trade programs. Unfortunately, the school still failed, and they had to rechange the name. It's no longer called Automotive High School. It's called something else now. And, you know, it, it's unfortunate, but it still helped us in the long run. We can't just look at it academically, like Khalil said. The mental health is a big, big, big problem. Hmm. I, I, I agree on that. Well, I, I always said that the the hierarchy in the Department of Education, most of these people that run our school system, their children don't go to public schools. Uh, so how could they have the best interests at heart if they don't even believe in the system that they work for? Mm. So they, they send their children to private school. So uh, you also have a, a high level recently of administrators that are resigning from the Department of Education. So what's going to happen now if the shot callers are not in place? What's what's going to happen if, 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 you know, we're having a problem with teachers wanting to go into the schools because their fear of their own safety or they may bring COVID home or, you know, children may come in. So we're, we're in an area of, of uncertainty and a lot of key decisions are going, going to have to be made uh, on the local level and the state level. Uh, to help this, help correct this situation. Do you agree, Khalil? Certainly, and and I'm a willing partner uh, to, to to making that happen. And mm. uh, to take you up on your earlier uh, previous point, uh, certainly you have our commitment. Uh, you know that we will do a um, school census, if you will, or a school assessment, mm-hmm. needs assessment. There you um, go. Across our, our, our schools, in our schools across the district. Uh, one to check in and see how folks are doing with this remote learning and these uh, mobile learning labs uh, that will be set up across uh, the city uh, so that people can, who otherwise wouldn't have access to internet uh, services or need a uh, functional academic setting uh, and can practice social distance where the learning labs are, uh, can have that and those resources. We certainly want to assess those and and look at how we're doing in this moment. Uh, but going forward, one, how do we recover academically uh, from COVID-19 and, and the impact uh, that young students who were used to the in-person learning and now have to learn electronically, uh, what that mm-hmm. looks like uh, and going forward, what, what you know, how much of a hit, if, if, if any, uh, will our students take in terms of academia? So we certainly do plan on doing a, a, a school census, if you will. Well, yeah, you, you tapped on something that was very key about uh, having uh, internet capability. Uh, the city of Philadelphia has been having free Wi-Fi for over like 20 years. I mean, what's wrong with New York City making Wi-Fi free so everyone can have access? And- I mean, there's so many there's so many hot spots in Manhattan where you can just tap into if you got low signal and, and you can have your laptop or your phone pick up one on the internet. Yeah, and and just to piggyback off what you're saying and put it into perspective of, of the district, uh, according to uh, our last census numbers from 10 years ago, you know, obviously this is not up to date, but it's still an alarming number, uh, you know, just uh, 16% of our state is without internet, uh, with a high percentage of that 16% uh, being in, in more remote parts of New York City, i.e., parts of the Rockaways, uh, where there mm. are, are, you know, because we're 
essentially remote, like, you know, other parts of, of, uh, of New York City, uh, don't have access to Internet. And there's been proposal after proposal for municipal broadband, uh, you know, that's, you know, introduced or discussed in some fashion on the state level. But we've got to look at a system of providing Internet to all that, that is equitable. Um, mm-hmm. So that it's not these monopolies of of large companies, but it's 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 government investing in infrastructure to ensure that hard to reach uh, neighborhoods, if you will, uh, have access to broadband, so we can level the playing field. We can't say that we want to invest in education. We can't say that we want uh, a, a a productive academic uh, space for our young people if the playing field is not leveled. And part of leveling that playing field is investing in. Uh, you know, the opportunity for every single student, every single neighborhood, every single crevice, crevice of said neighborhoods uh, has access to Internet and certainly will work with advocates and activists uh, to that end. Because mm, that's interesting. important. Yeah. Or, mm. or we could support Elon Musk where he wants to put satellites all across the world, give everyone free Wi-Fi. I like that idea better. Listen, I'm here for creativity and I think that that's important. Absolutely, but I'll tell okay. you right now, you know that's not going to happen. No, but, yeah, but we got to have vision. I think part of I think part of part of uh, our fight is to make sure that we have vision and we have uh, 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 the space to ensure that we force it to happen. Um, they said <laughs> they said just a couple of years ago that we weren't going to be able to strengthen rent protections that haven't been strengthened uh, in decades in this state, and you know. After one election cycle and the right numbers uh, and configurations uh, as it relates to seating in the assembly, in the uh, assembly in the Senate, we were able to do it just in, in less than a couple months. So that's a part of it, right? I think that that plays a huge role: the politics of the issue and the politics of the moment. Hmm. Interesting. No, well, that's a little like... different. That's a little different than putting uh, satellites into the sky, though. Listen. We gotta make we gotta make something happen. I'm 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 here to review all proposals that will level the playing field. All all realistic proposals. Well, I'm gonna go off on an, on another on, on another path. I would like to know how you feel about the population explosion that's happening in our district. Um, how do you feel about more housing? coming to the Rockways. I'm not talking about what we already have the, the uh, pen, uh, Peninsula uh, project going on. We have Arvanese on the table and then we have Mott Avenue. But uh, when you're adding density to the population, you you should have more schools as well. Um, I, I think when you when you add more housing to an area that is uh, not serviced properly. We don't have the the recreation. We don't have any job readiness programs, any serious readiness programs. When I'm talking about like the trades or or STEM programs that can take people in another direction, we don't have those things. So, are are you on board to continue to build without the necessary infrastructure to sustain? <laughs> So certainly, let me answer this question in two parts. I'm going to answer it within the scope of the lines of the 31st Assembly District, and then I'll answer it uh, as a Rockaway community as a whole. So the two developments that you mentioned, Peninsula Hospital, uh, uh, the old Peninsula Hospital site, 
and Arbor and Each, which, which is also uh, snaking its way through the Yule process. These two developments are not within the 31st Assembly District. The Mott Avenue downtown project is within the 31st Assembly District. And I can say that I am a opponent of development of communities without a strong community benefits agreement to ensure that the residents mm-hmm. who live in these neighborhoods uh, and are impacted and had been impacted prior to the folks, the new population of folks that are coming in uh, to, to have benefits and who have been struggling in these neighborhoods prior mm-hmm. to, to development uh, can, can be made whole. And I think that while downtown for a Rockway project wasn't perfect uh, and, and, uh, the Peninsula Project is still, I think it's taken, it's, it's completed the Europe process and it's taken its way through a, a, a land remediation process and testing uh, if there's any toxins or anything of that sort at the site. And I think that's where it is now. Uh, while I think that these agreements need to be more transparent uh, and public, uh, but they also should have more community benefits and more of a negotiations, uh, not just community board, but with you know, regular folks who live in and around the neighborhood who are not attached to decision-making institutions and things like that. Yes, I know community board has a, somebody might say here, community board has a function in it that allows you to publicly speak and things of that nature. We have to make sure that these processes are more open. I agree. If we build, let's make sure we do it responsibly. If we build, let's make sure that there's community benefits that can make the community, the existing community, and the new community whole. And I think part of that process is making sure we're introducing employment opportunities. The Rockaway Peninsula has among the highest unemployment in the 31st Assembly District at 16.2%. And, you know, if we're talking about ways to introduce more employment opportunities, certainly construction, certainly building management, uh, certainly building home ownership and things uh, 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 and CLTs, community land trusts, which is also proposed for the Arvernese project, are important ways of making sure that we create ownership and create employment opportunities. But we got to make sure that it's fair. It's fair for both existing and uh, 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 new, new populations that are coming in. I'm talking about a balance. I'm talking about, yes, if we have to develop, if we need to develop, we are facing a housing crisis. Let's do it in a fair, transparent way where, the, again, the existing and the incoming community can benefit. Well, well, no no politician that represents us from every level agrees with what you just said. <laughs> because they've been doing nothing but the opposite. Touche. So I really hope you mean what you say because we've heard this time and time again and we, well, we get a different outcome. Well, well it, it, I also have to preface and acknowledge that, uh, you know, as state reps, we really don't have much say in the development oh, process. Right. And also, uh, you can't stop a developer from developing on land as of right, uh, because if they don't need any zoning changes, they don't have to go through the city council, the community board. They don't have to go through the process at all, et cetera. Well, uh, so well on the state rules, level, you could do something about that, though. There's definitely statues you can change on the state level to make sure that that's not going to happen. So, so by the municipal. I uh, mean, now, you know, it's, it's different, of course, if they're developing on private property. Now, that's a whole different thing. But then you also mentioned CBA, which is very important. I'm actually a huge supporter of the, of the CBA, Community Benefits Agreement. However, CBAs have, 
I, I can't think of one CBA in New York City that has came to be successful because of the exact policies that you just named. Oh, well, if there's no zoning required, oh, they can just build anyway. It means they don't have to listen to us. I mean, essentially, well, I, you really don't have any power. I think, um, but th- let me just, hold on, Jeff. I, I think, and I could be wrong about this. I have to do some research. But I think in terms of the context in New York City, I think the Kingsbridge uh, CBA, the Kingsbridge CBA for the skate rink was a pre-fair uh, uh, community benefits agreement for the residents up in the Bronx. I need to right. look into that a little well, bit. Well, representative, their representative in the assembly doesn't think so. Diana Richardson doesn't think so. She put a big no, no. video out and a big rant about the whole project. Kingsbridge, well, no, no, Kingsbridge is in the Bronx. Yeah, Diana Richardson in Brooklyn. She's Crown Heights, Flatbush. Oh, oh, he's talking about the. Oh, he's talking about Kingsbridge and the Bronx. Okay, there's oh, another man. armory. There's another armory at Crown Heights that I was thinking about. Yeah, man. the Bedford Armory. The, the Bedford. Yeah, I'm sorry, that's my fault. Well, well here's the thing. Uh, uh, when you're talking about the community benefit agreement, I don't think enough people in our district are sitting at the table. And uh, if if you're gonna come here, and you want to build up and you're getting all these grants and from the government and you're getting all these tax breaks, but you're not giving back. That to me is a problem. Like, I really don't believe that another hotel should go in Arvin East. Like hotels, a boutique hotel, these type of hotels are built because that area that you're trying to put a hotel is a destination. When I go on vacation, I go to a certain area, like if I'm going to Disney, that is a destination. That's where the four or five star hotels are at. What attraction is in Arvin East to put a hotel over there? Well, again, like he said, you know, state don't really have no say in that, but no, but I'm just know. throwing I'm just throwing it out there. I'm just being real. The La Quinta, what attraction was there to put a hotel there? We all knew that that was going to be a shelter. Mm-hmm. And the same person that owns the La Quinta owns the other hotel that's up there uh, in Far Rockway that is now Shelter Part 2. Yeah, there's always business in poverty, Ed. There's always business in it. Pimping in poverty. I think we really need to keep touching on what Khalil said. Again, a community benefits agreement it, Correct. It needs, I there needs to be policy in place to give these people more say when they're creating a, a, a CBA. Because, again, Barclays Center was supposed to be one of the most successful CBAs the city has ever seen. One of the big projects that happened in downtown Brooklyn, and it fell apart quickly. Well, the, the developers quickly ignored the community, and they continued to build those high-end luxury condos that no one's even living in, really. I, listen, I, I, I understand that affordable housing is needed citywide. But does everything have to be Nationwide. pushed on a, on, on a... There you go. Does everything have to be pushed on an 11-mile peninsula? Well, I think there's other... It's I think happening that everywhere, addition, but I think we're getting the most of it. I think in addition to... Can you guys hear me? Yeah, yep, I, I think that in addition to creating a new units of affordable housing... Uh, in a sustainable way, uh, we should also be looking at initiatives um, that uses what housing we have now uh, and improves improves upon it, right? Um, you know, NYCHA has, uh, I don't know the percentage offhand, but NYCHA has 
uh, a fair amount of units that are vacant um, that if rehabilitated, we can put folks in. Yeah, I'm I glad think, you brought that up. And, 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 and secondly, I think also ways we can create uh, more units of affordable housing, maybe not in some of the low-lying areas of the Rockwood Peninsula and of this of the 31st Assembly District, but we should certainly look at the base campaign. The base campaign is a campaign that's um, uh, being run in coalition with Chaya CDC and a, 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 a number of different housing advocates that wants to you know, work uh, with the city to create safe and affordable uh, apartments with basements. The base campaign looks to uh, rehabilitate uh, basements uh, in a way mm-hmm. that makes them more uh, livable, uh, whether it means uh, creating more window space, uh, creating more ventilation space. If you guys take a look at uh, CDC's website, and look up the base campaign, B-A-S-E campaign, it looks mm-hmm. at ways that we could convert uh, these units uh, even, and even garages uh, 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 into affordable. And that's ridiculous. You know, that just means that we're oversaturated. That's totally but, ridiculous. I'm not living but, in some some garage that was reinvented. <laughs> well, well here, here's the thing, Khalil. Khalil uh, no, touched no, on. I mean, no, I'm going to keep it real. I'm going to no, keep no, it real, man. You know what, what the real issue is? You got these people who live but, in NYCHA for 20, 30 years. They pass the apartments down to their family. They got to get rid of that. You got, you got some old lady sitting in the house right now in a three-bedroom. Mm. Well, and they're not downsizing. So I could I could speak uh, to the numbers that I've seen with the base program because it's being piloted in East New York, uh, and in the short period of time that they've had the base program, they've created a thousand new units of affordable housing without having mm-hmm. to put a single shovel in the ground. I mean, you know, we have to look at other ways of creating affordable housing. And I think oh, that like 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 the rat program, right? So I'm not a supporter of the RAD program uh, because I think that the RAD program has multiple issues uh, from management uh, to the entire process of uh, converting people's uh, Section eight, uh, Section 9 to Section 8 creates portability. But I think that what I've proposed around base apartments, apartments uh, and looking at other ways uh, to create more affordable housing is important. We're facing a crisis. Uh, and I think part of that is is also holding, as you just said, uh, or the sentiment that you just mentioned, creating uh, or, you know, making sure that apartments within NYCHA, the vacancy rate uh, uh, should not should be zero. There should be no uh, vacant uh, apartments. Exactly. NYCHA, particularly so, with a wait list. So, so why, why are they vacant then? Right. Why is NYCHA and not? They got these, they got these long waiting lists, of- too. There's I'm still on a waiting list for one of these nitro apartments, by the way. It's been five years. There's there's a lot of decommissioned units that need to be reviewed and see why those units are decommissioned, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, mold or, or whether it's an issue that's beyond remediation, looking at ways uh, of investing in those units to recommission those units so we can put families in them. Uh, of course, we don't want to... And I know you mentioned the issue with the seniors that might be. We don't want to, you know, uh, shuffle. And, of course, I'm sure there's some legal protections here for tenants. Uh, but you don't want to shuffle families around, uh, uh, you know, uh, unnecessarily, you know, uh, to, to this end. Right. So you also want to be respectful of their rights. Uh, oh, and, so, so, so you think it's OK for a single person to live in a three bedroom? No, I think we need to encourage folks to downside where, downsize where appropriate. But we don't want to impose, uh, you know, a, a will 
on someone who might have grown up in that space or might have memories in that space uh, and things of that nature. We just Listen, you're renting. You don't own the place. Side. You don't own the place. Mm-hmm. Forget your memories. You don't own it. Well, uh, and, and, and it's not fair that you get to leave your apartment to your kids in a public housing development. That's bananas. Get out. Get a job. Well, get well, out. I, well, I guess if they're on the lease and I guess the grandparent or the Well, they better have some kids if they want to keep that two or three bedroom. They better have some kids if they want to keep it because if you're single and you ain't got no kids, it's time for you to get your one bedroom or your studio. You cannot stay in that apartment. <laughs> Because that is why you got these people who are in shelters with three or four kids right now, two, even one kid, single mothers, single fathers, and they can't get an apartment. Well, that, that that's another problem because I think our shelter system in New York City is just warehousing. I, I don't think that's they're all working. It is. They're not trying to solve anything. To create uh, sustainable housing for people who are homeless. I think, you you know, you, you, you're shuffling them around and you you know, and the, these people who own these properties are, are making a fortune off the taxpayer dollar and exploiting the homeless. That's what they're doing. That's exactly what they're doing, especially with yeah. the hotels. And don't get me wrong, some of these landlords who are part of the RAD program, part of these Section 8 subsidies, they're eating, they're eating a lot of costs, too, out of the government. And it's time to have more oversight on these landlords, too, when they're taking these government programs, too. Because they're they're taking advantage of these people who may not actually have the knowledge or the understanding of their rights with these subsidies. Because a lot of these places are poorly managed that these people live in. So I would rather live in a shelter in some of these places that I've visited and seen how these people are living in these apartments. I would rather stay in a shelter before I go into some place that that is roach infested, mice infested, mold, there's lead. And that shouldn't be. It's a lot of problems, man. You know, and again, I wish the state had more power in some of these things because the city really cannot handle this. The city does not know how to does not know how to deal with this crisis. Well, uh, Khalil said he, he he's not a fan of the RAD program, but I did hear through the grapevine that RAD has taken over a few more nights of developments in our district. So that's not come you know to my attention. I don't know that to be. Uh, a true factor. There's certainly a, a an entire public process that has to take place uh, before you know that happens, and I haven't seen that uh, in any part of the district. So I don't. I don't want to speak to it. I haven't seen it. Ah, uh, okay. Well, have you seen Have you seen uh, Ocean Bay? You see how beautiful that place looks now. Absolutely incredible. About it. And I, I still say I still say that Ocean Bay, of course, Rad is not perfect, but I'm gonna tell you right now, Rad gives people an opportunity to live in a better environment and, and a better place. These people have brand new brand new tubs, brand new cabinets, brand new elevators. They have key fobs now to get inside their building. It, it's a beautiful place. I have to really give a lot of credit to that management company that took over. And the place looks beautiful. It looks like a desirable place to live now because don't get me started on what it used to be 10 years ago. The landscaping is incredible over there. Yeah. I mean, it, it, they got better landscaping than where I'm at. And, you know, again, I understand that there's poverty. I understand that there's a lot of things you brought up, Khalil, I actually agree with. But we got to understand, too, that quality of life still matters. And we can feel bad for a lot of people. But if you're causing trouble in a neighborhood, you're selling drugs, 
You're doing all types of things that are not positive in your community. I'm sorry. These people should be replaced. And let's give it to these people who really need a place to live, who want to conduct themselves properly in society and live a prosperous life and a successful life. Amen. I agree with that. Well, that that that's that what you just said, Jeff, is just touching on uh, another issue uh, that's happening far too often. Uh, Khalil, we're having a a lot of shootings in the area, and I I think a a different approach is needed to engage the young kids that are in the streets, that are in the gangs to try to steer them away from that and give them some hope to turn their life around. Uh, so I would like to know what you would do different to tackle this problem. Yeah, no, I think, you know, growing up in the Rockaways, uh, you know, seeing uh, the good days, the bad days, and the worst days, the gun violence, uh, and the pain and anguish that it puts in our communities, the fears the fear that it puts in young people not wanting to go outside uh, and feeling safe. Uh, you know, I think that part of a holistic approach to uh, addressing the systemic ills uh, of why gun violence and the root at what, what, you know, why gun violence exists and what's the root there, um, you know, starts with looking at ways that we can better resolve conflict. And I know that at some of the uh, shooting responses that I've been to with, uh, the Cure Violence Group on the Peninsula, which is Rock Save Streets, um, we've I've discussed, uh, and in many other forums, I've discussed the need for conflict resolution curriculum in our schools to be able to teach our, our young people, people as young as uh, 10, uh, if you will, 12. These are the ages where, uh, you know, they begin to become more accountable and should be more accountable, uh, uh, even more accountable, obviously, uh, from the beginning. Uh, of of when they're more conscious uh, to their behaviors, and I think that if we had more conflict resolution, more more restorative justice in our schools, which is a part of conflict resolution, it would really really help building uh, that skill set in our young people to be able to defuse conflict uh, before it before it uh, uh, turns into something violent. Uh, not just in our schools now do we need this this curriculum, but we also need it in our community centers and all spaces where there are young people, because I truly believe that. Uh, you know, it's a little, it's harder to fix a broken man, easier to fix a, a broken child. And I think that mm-hmm. starting at the younger ages in this conflict resolution plan is important. And that's something that we're going to push. So, uh, secondly, we want to easier said than done. We want to make sure that we can tighten, uh, you know, the gun laws on some of these Eastern seaboard States. Uh, these are not guns that are manufactured here. Uh, in this five boroughs. These are not uh, guns that are manufactured here in the state of New York, uh, nor are they manufactured here uh, or across the water, excuse me, in the state of New Jersey. These guns are coming from uh, all over, um, the, you know, southern states that are along the eastern seaboard and they're being trafficked here. Um, so no amount of... of yeah, I don't uh, think it's just southern gun, states, but okay. Yeah, no, 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 no. You got Connecticut too. Not southern state. Oh, 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 no, you got other countries. You got other countries, too. Let's be honest. It's not legal gun owners. These are not legal gun owners' guns coming into our neighborhood. Right. Right. Okay. No, um, and and, and that's important um, to recognize. Thank you for that, Jeff. But 
you know, I think that that's important too, tightening up those gun laws. I think that that's really important. And, and three, uh, and most importantly, making sure that we are innovative uh, in our programming to reduce gun violence. And I think part of that innovation uh, looks like making sure that maybe we have, instead of gun buybacks, um, you know, making sure that whomever turns in the gun, uh, if they need employment opportunities, they can be hired on the spot. I think that the root of gun violence comes from people from, you know, come from, comes from the cycle of poverty, not having resources, not having, uh, um, you know, conflict resolution and, and learning how to do that in an effective way. Uh, and I yeah, think yeah, that you, you really think issues, you really believe that's why they shoot. I think so. I think it's, it's shooting. And I think gun violence is, is, a, is a crime of poverty. Absolutely. So, you know, me and you came from poverty. I ain't never shot a gun at nobody. Have we come from some of the, uh, uh, and not to compare apples to oranges, uh, you know, have we, do we, or do we have a, a fair understanding of some of the backgrounds that these folks come from? Broken well, yeah. I didn't come from a great household. I, I was raised by a single mother. Right. Never shot a gun. You both have, have excellent points, but I, I think maybe we need to uh, implement some big brother programs because we have professionals in our community, and a lot of them are retired and, and have free time that could be mentors and father figures to a lot of these young men and women who don't have that at home. So when he says it takes a village, we got to tap into that village. That's also a mentality of, of the area they live in, the environment they live in, too. I mean, at the same time, we glorify, we, we glorify violence in our own community, honestly. It's in our music. It's, it's, in our, it's in our schools. You know, the mentality is just, it, it's just cool to be gangster. And some of these people are out there just causing violence because they're just trying to prove a point to the wrong people that they don't need to prove a point to. They, they, this is the culture, unfortunately, that has, that has risen to be cool. But having that role model and that big brother, father figure there, that's going to guide you along the way. And even when you slip back, like you said, that program in the school, when you felt something was bothering you, you had that person you could go to talk to. We need right. that in, in our community. Right. We need we that. Have that. We have that already. It ain't working. In you, what capacity? Do, do you know where there's a Big Brother program out here? Please let me know. Oh, we have we have a lot of them. We have Queens Defenders. We have a lot of these programs out here. It's just these people choose not to go to them and, no, and that's, participate. That's, no, no, no. That, that, that's not fair, Jeffrey. Uh, so what Edwin is saying is, is that making sure that the program is available on a wide scale. Correct. And and when we're talking about Queens Defenders, they don't have the capacity to ensure that there's a big brother program for every student on the peninsula. And that's the goal that we need to get to. Is to make sure that we have Well well we got fathers alive in the hood. It's not enough. We're not where we need to be. And what we're saying and I think correct me if I'm wrong, Edwin, I think what what we're saying here is that we need to expand it to make that more mainstream, not just just these groups that do it. 
and have very limited capacity can only work with 10 or 15 young people or 30 or Correct. 40 young people when our schools are filled with hundreds, if not thousands. Exactly. Now, Khalil, we, we spoke earlier on something. There, there are some buildings on our end of town that are owned by some wealthy people that have been sitting abandoned for decades. How about we reach out to these people and see if they can give these back to the community since, you know, it sits there and it's, you know, really not hurting you uh, and, and you still own it. You know, how about a trade school opening up in one in one of those places that, you, that that's a multi-story building? And then you can set up an area where you can have wait, that. Wait, which buildings? I'm sorry. Uh, which uh, there's the one, Jeff, where is it down there in the 30s? Uh, I'm not sure if that's part of your district. Uh, it used to be an old synagogue. Uh, right. Oh, yeah, the one off Secret Boulevard. Yeah, right. That's, that's, that, that's Stacy's district, unfortunately. Right, right. But, the, but then we have the uh, – oh, I'm not sure if this is your district, uh, but the old uh, – Brooklyn Day Camp, Khalil, that's been probably sitting. Not, not his either. Not his either. Wow, gerrymandering is a mother, isn't it? Well, this this is a, this is the one thing I wanted to bring up. We really touched on a lot of topics. I know we pressed on time. We've been here for a minute, but what I wanted to really discuss with Khalil is, I think that your district, our district, sorry, I live in it. Our district is not properly representing Rockaway. It only it only represents a very small portion. And I have a real problem with that. I I almost don't. I almost feel that the seat that you're in, not coming at you personally, I feel like the seat that you're in is completely pointless to rock with. Why would you and, say and, that? And, and we don't cover. It does not cover enough of our area. And he doesn't even represent majority of the portion of low income residents and blacks in his community. I mean. There's so many different pockets. You go across the street, you're in Stacy's district. You go across the street on the other side of the block, you're in Khalil's district. Well, who and, did and that? It's totally ridiculous. It has to change. Jeff, some players sat down in the room and remapped all of this BS yeah. to protect How their interests. I, I live in Auburn View. How is it that he has Auburn View, but every other complex around me he doesn't have? He doesn't have a Water's Edge. He doesn't no, have 59th do. Street Playground. I do have Water's Edge. Oh, you do have Water's Edge. You're right. But how come he doesn't have the breakers? How come he doesn't have all those other parts of Arkham? But he does and then he represents you though, Ed. He represents you in Palmer's Land and he just skipped like five, ten blocks where he only yeah. represent. Gerrymandering is, is designed to keep those in power. And then he has Hamels, but for some odd reason he doesn't have the rest of the other side of Dayton that's right across the street from Hamels. I'm just using those as examples. Ed. It's worse the further down you go into Far Rockaway. So now where in the 30s, on one portion of one side of Seagrid Boulevard, he doesn't have them people. And those are black people that live over there. Those are low-income residents that live over there. Why is he not representing them? Why do they have the other person? This, I'm trying to make this a race issue. All I'm saying is, though, is that our needs here are far greater than other people's needs on the other side of the peninsula. That's just a fact. I don't care who gets mad at what I said. That's just a fact. Our needs are different. So why doesn't he have majority of the East End's map? I mean, he's got JFK Airport, you know, you know, Springfield Gardens. It's just these small pockets to where it's like it doesn't make sense to me. Why doesn't he have parts of Bayswater? Yeah, I mean, all of Bayswater. Why is Bayswater split? It's the same neighborhood. Correct. Why? Why? What's going on with this, Khalil? I mean, come on, help me out here. Well, how can we change this? Yeah, I mean, right now is our moment. Uh, uh, you know, 
we have to make sure that uh, communities are, are, you know, throughout the 31st Assembly District and, and across the city and state, uh, quite frankly, nation are completing uh, the census. Uh, the census helps create uh, these seats, and we need to ensure that every assembly seat, uh, I believe, is maxed out at 150,000 people, is the max that we're uh, um, able to represent. And, you know, when we have underreporting, it, you know, it causes the districts to shrink. Uh, and but you know when we have at level reporting, it, you know it causes the districts to expand, and in some cases include neighborhoods that you know otherwise should uh, have been included in the districts. So I think census is a big part of it, but also there's a lot of political jockeying uh, that happens uh, or has happened in the past, and I think it's important to note that while in the past the assembly uh, had a significant hand in redistricting, uh, now for, you know for the first time. Uh, since this law passed in 2014, we're going to see, uh, uh, quote unquote, an independent uh, redistricting commission, uh, you know, handling Great. what redistricting looks like on the state level. But uh, once, you know, we pass the mats to the state level, they're supposed to go to the federal government level uh, and they could be altered in any way there. So it's going to be a very interesting process to see how redistricting happens this time. Um particularly with the independent uh, redistricting commission, uh, but hopefully we get some fair lines and that encompass communities, uh, bring communities together uh, and don't split them apart. I had this same issue that Jeff is bringing up uh, in the mainland part of the district where uh, I'm separating communities by highways. I don't have all of the entire, the, the 31st doesn't have all of any one community. I don't mm-hmm. have all of Springfield right. Gardens. It's split up everywhere. I don't have everywhere. all of Rosedale. I don't have all of South Richmond Hill. There's no entire whole communities, uh, with the exception of JFK Airport, which is not a community. Mm-hmm. Um, but like it, it's it's problematic, and I think it it starts with the redistricting process, and we got to make sure it's fair and transparent. Wow. Well, we definitely covered a lot, and uh, Khalil, I want to thank you for coming on. We've been on for a little over an hour. But we definitely want to invite you back because there's so much that we can definitely tackle. And you bring a fresh perspective to the to the game, to the district, to the politics. And, uh, you know, maybe you being elected will raise up a, a new generation of civic minded young people and start to get them engaged because they are our future. And what I would say too to Khalil is uh, you, you do a great job speaking to people that, that don't always align with the same <laughs> political views as you. You did a good job. No, I appreciate you both. And I, th- I appreciate uh, this program, given, you know, the platform uh, so people in the community can really understand the issues, uh, both the minutia and the surface level issues, uh, uh, parts of those issues. And I thank you all for, for this, you know, for the show. Keep working. Great. We'll definitely have you back. And on that note, everybody, we're out of here. Good night. Out of here. Good night, guys.